Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here today to talk about the second preseason game against the Arizona Cardinals for the Ravens. A few different things to look at. Here to, to talk with me about that is Kevin Ostreicher. Kevin, how you doing? I'm, do, I'm doing well, Ken. Always a pleasure talking with you about Ravens football. And yeah, not so much a matchup here between the Ravens and Cardinals we're going to talk about, but the players. I'm excited to see some of these guys and, and how they're able to perform off of that first game. Really is, in the preseason, it's more of an individual sport than a team sport in an awful lot of ways. So, so, you know, you're, you're not playing team defense a lot of the time. You're not often playing team offense. They want to see what you can do one-on-one and how you can help the team in a, in a broader context uh, down the line. Uh, Kevin, you're from Locked on Ravens. Uh, tell, tell me your Twitter handle up front, and we'll get to your other plugs at the back. Yep, yeah, my, my Twitter is at ChaosCircuit34, talking Ravens every single day on there. 
All right, outstanding. So uh, we saw some interesting things on offense in the first game. We saw um, the offensive line, the starters definitely took the night off more or less. Uh, Zeitler and Moses did not even suit up or did not play anyway. Uh, McCary was in for one series at center. Uh, to start the game. Powers was in for one at right guard, which was a little interesting, and then two at center. Kind of tells me he's in the lead for the starting left guard position from from what I see from that because he just happened to be filling in for Zeitler there. Yeah, I, I think so too. And the versatility. The Ravens love their versatility all across the board. We see Powers play, playing center snaps and I think it's important because obviously with Linderbaum who's expected to return to practice on Friday here, it's good news there, but you can never have too many options in any position. Yeah, I agree with that, and I, I, I don't know what the Linderbaum situation is. We never can really tell from from uh, reports given by Harbaugh. They're intentionally vague, and, and uh, the fact he's returning to practice is something. Uh, the fact that people come off a PUP list is really something. That tells you that, that a, a large change is coming. But because uh, uh, the, the team gives up options to take people off the PUP list. Uh, moving over to left tackle, Juwan James uh, played a half. At left tackle wasn't supremely impressive by any stretch, but I think he was probably slightly above the replacement level, which is which is better than you can probably hope for a guy who's hasn't played anything but right tackle pretty much his whole career and hasn't played at all in about the last three years. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think when you're talking about the offensive line, this is the second year the Ravens have kind of gone through that transition over from left to right or right to left tackle. Last year was Villanueva moving from the left side to the right side, then moving back over to the left side after Ronnie Stanley went down. This year having Juwan James, who, yeah, primarily a right tackle throughout his career, moving over to left tackle. So it's a, it's a process. He, he talked about it a bit in terms of how it can be a bit difficult. But yeah, I, I thought it was okay. Not, nothing overly spectacular, but he wasn't terrible either, which I think is a start when you're talking about that. Yeah, looked as a run blocker, he looked. Uh, I thought pretty decent sealing that edge. Uh, he and and uh, Phillips together, I thought did a did a good job on some run plays over there. Um, one of the other things I guess I would say about seeing Powers at center is that we may not see Cologne again at center for the Ravens this year. Obviously, he's one of the guys that really on the fringe. Would you expect the Ravens to keep 10 offensive linemen? It's really tough. I have them keeping nine right now. I just, they have so many positions where they could, you could say, well, they should keep one extra here or one extra there. And for the offensive line, I could, I could see them keeping 10. But for now, it's interesting because you, assuming everyone's healthy, you have Linderbaum, who's going to be your starter, McCary, who can be that super sub offensive guy but if you can have a player like powers who can be that like emergency third center you don't necessarily have to have a pure third center on your roster even though i think cologne's a decently good player maybe the ravens look to flip one of these offensive linemen a la ben bredesen last offseason that could could be a possibility and maybe that cologne has more value than powers in a trade because he's a third year player and powers a fourth that that is possible uh, and they could they could actually you know potentially get something for him. That would be a reason to showcase Cologne for some snaps against starters. We don't know what Arizona would do. I presume Arizona is not going to be wanting to risk all their offensive stars either, or their defensive stars for that matter. Early in this game, some of it does come down to depth, um, and uh, and we'll just have to see how how much they put out there. But it's really hard to put up good tape against not good players. Right, and I think when you're talking about this, well, you look at the win streak, 21 games, the Ravens have to have really good depth, and they've had to have really good depth to do that, and they don't necessarily have to play their starters every game to say, you know, we're going to try everything and put I'll pull all the stops out and play starters the whole time. They have really quality depth, and I think, yeah, when you're going up against 
second, third, fourth stringers. I think it's really important to be able to put up some good tape there because if, if you don't for multiple consecutive games, it, it might be more of a pattern as opposed to maybe one bad game and two good games. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, and the Ravens certainly, my way I've said it for years now is that they've won, they've won all these preseason games in a row for, with defensive depth pretty much in the second half. Their, their defensive units, particularly on the defensive line, but also at cornerback and other places, way deeper than other teams. This year was the first year I really felt that was not, that was not really the case. At inside linebacker, they, they have a bunch of UDFA linebackers, so they may hit on some of those. And John Ross obviously made some big plays in this first game. But the, uh, uh, the cornerback situation is very weak. They're starting with you know, three DoorDash corners basically starting the game. Uh, with with Kayvon Seymour and Warley getting expensive playing time and uh, uh, who else played? No, Pepe was good. Yeah, Pepe is looks looks solid. But uh, but you know they they, they I, this is the first year I kind of felt like defensive depth was not there for the Ravens to necessarily continue the streak. And the inside linebacker, I, I want to talk about that for just a tiny second because. It's interesting to see just like how many could they keep because with the safety mm-hmm. position being what it is, with the Ravens using some guys in the dime linebacker position, they don't necessarily have to have two inside linebackers on the field for every single play this upcoming season. So in some years where they might have kept five guys or maybe even six, this could be a year that they keep four or maybe even they keep three and surprise some people and just Harrison, Queen, and Bynes. It's, it's it's an interesting point, and I think it's, it's a big week for guys like Josh Ross and Scobie McClain and even Kristen Welch to, to maybe say, hey, look, you should keep four because I'm good enough of a player where you should instead of maybe only keeping three and then adding another defensive back on instead. Welch is definitely on the bubble, and he would have to really be a star on special teams to make his spot um, completely secure from where he is right now. The other thing that makes it difficult that I don't think people are really hitting on too much is that the depth the Ravens have an inside linebacker gives them some options to use the um, – two-time elevation rule on practice squad players with multiple players of the same position. So let's say they decide that Zacoby McClain and um, it could be Fago, but it could be Harris, uh, sorry, sorry, it could be Ross, are the plays that they want on the practice squad to elevate. Uh, well, that gives them four weeks to kind of make up their mind. Do they like one of these better to, to elevate them? Does somebody get hurt so that there's a, a spot made that way? You know, multiple things that can happen on an FL roster. And, and, you know, obviously it's it's a fluid ebb and flow an NFL roster during the season. Yeah, and what what a blessing that's been for teams to be able to call up two guys from the practice squad every week. Mm-hmm. I think when you're able to kind of gauge who would be safe getting cut and you can sneak them on the practice squad versus who might get kind of taken away. We saw that last year with Nigel Warrior where he was and mm-hmm. he got taken away by the Seahawks. Nate McCrary got taken away by the Broncos before making his way back to Baltimore. So I think that's a really good point you make because if the Ravens do feel like they can kind of get away with not having as many inside linebackers on the active roster in maybe putting an Ardarius Washington on instead or another player on the defensive back in the defensive back room, I think that could be an option they explore. They, they'll, I'm sure they'll do some of that. And, of course, injured reserve is another tool for them to use. And I, I've covered that all in another pod, so I kind of want to leave that alone. But the, the people who are making their 53 right now, it's not 53 anymore, folks. Don't worry. Make it be a 57, a 59. You got the right number if, if, you're, uh, if you think all those people will effectively be kept in some way. Uh, let's go back to the offense a second because I think we kind of got through some of the offensive linemen. One guy who played, I thought, very well the first week, and I expect to get more playing time this week is McKenzie. 
his roster situation is unique in that his real value to the team is not as an offensive lineman. It's as a defensive lineman. And, and the vers- versatility is the wrong word. He brings a designation that he's an offensive lineman and the ability to play the defensive lineman, the fifth defensive lineman, as the eighth offensive lineman, which is required by the game day activation rules. Yeah, and we kind of saw that a couple years ago when Patrick Ricard was still playing two-way, and he doesn't do that anymore, obviously. But McKenzie last year played for them as a defensive lineman, and now he's kind of making the transition back over to offense, but can still be that player who can do those multiple different things. And so, yeah, I'd expect him to get a lot of, a lot of run on Sunday against the Cardinals. I think they really want to see what they have out of him, and especially you know when talking about maybe if the Ravens want to see a little less of their second string guys and a little more of their third and fourth stringers, which in the second game, maybe that is the case. I'd expect that also in the third game. But for this game in particular, I think McKenzie could get some run. Yeah, well, he certainly did. Last week, it was mostly second half snaps. In fact, he might not have come in until the second half. I'll just check my little score sheet here. Yeah, he came in at, at right guard in the third quarter, played the remainder of the game, including a move to left guard. Uh, so... Anyway, he's a guy. He's just a very interesting designation, and he's a player who could be the 10th offensive lineman who makes the team ahead of a better 10th pure offensive lineman just because of his value on the defensive side. Yeah, and you're you're talking about on the defensive line trying to manage some of these players' snaps like Calais Campbell, Michael Pierce, maybe even Brent Urban. And I know positionally you got to kind of work out, you know, where would McKenzie play, this, that, and the other. But if the Ravens have some depth issues on the defensive line and they want to use their practice, like let's say Aaron Crawford's on the practice squad at the end of this whole thing and they want to maybe, instead of calling him up, call up two inside linebackers like you talked about, but they already have McKenzie on the roster who can play in that role. It, it just gives them so many different options. And we know how much this defense loves players who can play all over the field in the first place. So to now have that offense-defense switchability, it, it adds a whole other layer. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you on the offense-defense things. The point I kind of want to make to people is I don't expect McKenzie to play a single snap offensively for this Ravens team. He's playing here in the preseason. Great. That versatility, and I'm air quoting it, exists. It's the designation that's important, and the Ravens have have, have gotten that. And and uh, the the, first, the the effectiveness he gives the Ravens is the Ravens would normally be fairly loath to activate only four defensive linemen. That's actually very risky in the NFL. Uh, you, you get you get an injury there, all of a sudden, you know, the other team makes you play base defense a lot, like someone like the Browns, and probably would activate five linemen against the Browns, but you're forced into a certain situation. If you have McKenzie as your eighth offensive lineman, not only is he available in case of injury, but also when you have sub packages like goal line or short yardage situations, maybe maybe you're behind in the game and the other team is, is running the ball, where you want to have four down linemen, you can do it. And you just you, you bring McKenzie into the game for, for that. So anyway, I, I think he's got a, a value to this team that uh, – that probably is not realized by by most fans. I, I know you kind of get it, Kevin, but uh, you know I'm, I'm uh, I, I just don't hear that as a general thing. I don't hear a lot of. Uh screaming for him to be on the team. No, it, he almost feels like a forgotten man in, in a couple ways. And I know also when you're thinking about activating only four defensive linemen, it could be risky, but it also kind of, you have to look at, are you comfortable moving some of those maybe outside linebackers inside? Like Pernell McPhee could play inside if you yeah. really needed him to. Like maybe if Steven Means makes this team, he can move inside a little bit, which is great, but it's still, it's it's very risky, I agree, Ken, to activate just four offensive linemen, especially, or defensive linemen, excuse me, especially when it comes to matchups. 
yeah, he, he'd be the guy uh, right now that they'd move Stephen Means inside. And uh, Houston and No Way and, uh, you know, Hayes and Bowser, none of those guys are, are made to, to move inside other than being a, a pure pass rushing down, which they might do some of that. But, uh, you know, it just it wouldn't make sense for anybody except, I, I, I don't think, McKenzie. So, uh, all right, let's move on. Tyler Linderbaum uh, going to sit out this game. I'm sure that he's going to supposed to return to individual drills on Friday. Uh, that in itself is a good sign, but um, I don't think we've really got the clarity that we need on exactly what his injury is. Not that we're entitled to it. This is something that Harbaugh keeps a secret, and I'm cool with that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we as fans can project him returning to practice to be something that we hope it to be as a, as opposed to something uh, that is the minimum of what it could be. Yep, and we've seen the Ravens take the cautious approach with their guys this entire offseason. I think that's the right call. So I wouldn't even be shocked if the Ravens want to play it super cautious, not even play him in the third game, depending on what ends up happening. Now, it's obviously important for him to get reps, but obviously health takes precedent over reps in this situation. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy he's expected to get back to practice on Friday. But again, we'll see what the timeline actually looks like for him in a, in a couple of days, probably. Yeah, good probability. I would say he does not play in week three because I don't. I, I basically, you know, a few years ago, the Jets I think were the team that was on Hard Knocks, and somebody told Ryan that they were going to be playing with thirty-seven guys in the final preseason game, which that's an incredibly shorthanded roster to play with for for any game. Obviously, regular season, you'd, you'd be oh my god, how would how would we get by with that? Because it's about eleven short of where your roster would normally be with forty-eight actives. Um, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the Ravens are at a point like that, even with 80 still on the roster, that they have almost that many people they want to hold out. Uh, almost half will be, uh, uh, will be held out for a game like that. So we'll see. if This is the chance. This is a chance for some players on offense somewhere. Maybe, it, maybe Andrews gets a few snaps in this game. Maybe he doesn't. Um, I think I would expect Nick Boyle not to play, but but I, I don't know if anything's been said officially about that yet. No, I don't think so. And he he's, he talked about playing in the preseason games. I know he didn't play, so I don't know what the situation is with that. But yeah, some of these other offensive guys, I mean, if James Prochet is healthy enough, obviously I don't think he's going to play against the Cardinals because he hasn't returned to practice. But Devin Duvernay, I think, will get some run. Um, some, some of these other younger guys. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I think when we get to that third preseason game, we might have a situation like that where you're going to see guys playing almost the entirety of the game because they're going to decide to rest so many people. Right, so Bateman would be a big one uh, in terms of whether or not he'll be back. Um, it, it, do you expect any play from him this game? Any play next week? Because if he doesn't play this week, I don't think he'll play next week. Yeah, uh, maybe if he doesn't play this week, I wouldn't expect him to play next week either. He might get a snap or two here here and there. I think how, how it used to work in the preseason when it was four games was that you'd have guys play like a series or two, like starters play a series or two in the first game, a quarter in the second mm-hmm. game, a half in the third game, and then nothing in the That's fourth it. game. Yeah. So what the what the plan, like I, I said last year, it's to be, hey, they could play a quarter in the first game, a half in the second game, and nothing in the third game. Obviously, I don't expect Bateman to play a half in, in this game, but maybe we see a series or two from him, then he's done for the preseason. I think that'd be okay. You know, obviously, there is a probably a little bit of a, a hesitancy on the Ravens side based on what happened with J.K. Dobbins last year in that one series but I think that the Ravens it, you know they don't want to play scared they don't want to act scared like that so maybe we'll see a couple guys like Bateman well I, I don't know if they want to play scared act scared I don't know where they are on this but I, I, I think the new normal might be a quarter sorry a series a quarter and nothing for the for three preseason yeah. games so uh 
it's uh, you know one of the players who's kind of a beneficiary of playing time for that, but I'm actually kind of worried about it. Is Isaiah Likely? Now he, he got significant playing time in the first in the first game. Obviously, when he was in there, the offense was just completely rolling through him, and he played the entire first half. And when I say that, in good ways and bad ways. I mean, Likely uh, had a terrible game as a blocker, uh, missed blocks, a uh, couple holding penalties, uh, had a, had a good game as a receiver. Showed a lot about what type of variety of ways he can go up and get the ball, get loose in space. Very positive on that side. Um, but, but when I think about it here, he's played a half of football already. I wouldn't want to put him through two more halves of football these next two games. Uh, it's just he's obviously a very key starter for the Ravens at this point, a key rotational player at least as the second tight end behind Andrews. Um, we don't know exactly where Boyle is going to be when the season starts, exactly you know how they're going to be able to use him. So uh, I, I have trouble seeing the, the logic in, in playing him a lot in both of these games. And if that's the case, do you play him – maybe a quarter this game and then cut his plate to nothing in the, in the third game. Yeah, I'm, I'm right along that with you. Maybe I'd say a quarter in the second game, maybe a series in the third game, if anything at all. But the, the thing with the tight end room is obviously I don't think Mark Andrews is going to play at all. Mm-hmm. You talked about Nick Boyle a little bit and just where, where he's at right now. Charlie Kohler I don't think is going to play at all. He's still recovering from his thing. So we could see a very much Josh Oliver type show here at the tight end position for these final two weeks for a player that if Charlie Kohler has to miss some time, during the regular season, the Ravens have to keep four tight ends. He would be that guy, at least for me right now, who would win that fourth tight end spot until Cole is ready to come back. And, and he could play a, a decent role on the offense early on, depending on how he performs in the preseason. It's possible, certainly. Um, Tony Poljan also. I mean, Oliver, not a blocker in, in what we've seen. Also a fourth-year player. Poljan, a, a Year one player who didn't make the make the roster last year, so he's still in in uh, the clock hasn't started to run on his four year contract yet. Um, it would be I think it'd be nice to um, to have Poljan be the guy if it could be figured out. But they're starting with Oliver and and uh, he, I, he probably starts the game at at tight end here uh, along with or instead of likely perhaps in this game. Uh, but but it, two tight ends is not really enough to get through a whole preseason game. Uh, not unless you're you're going to take some risks anyway. Right. Maybe you put maybe you line Ben Mason up in line and see what he can do. So if if you want to go three tight ends, you can have those three and then use Ben Mason in that role. But yeah, I think we're going to see a heavy dose of Josh Oliver, Tony Poljan, and, and also Ben Mason in these next couple of games. We did see. We certainly did see Ben Mason a fair amount at fullback, and I thought he did quite well in that first game. Good blocking game for him. Uh, he was in the in there, knew who he had to block. Uh, usually was giving a very readable block. He, he had one only that I noted that he really missed. One block that he that he kind of missed on. But otherwise, I thought he did a good job, and and I could see why the Ravens were interested in him uh, coming out of college last year. Yeah, I think, again, it was frustrating for a lot of people when he ended up going to the Patriots and signing with their practice squad instead of Baltimore's. And, you know, that his decision, obviously, but I think that he is like the perfect player to have in case of a Patrick Ricard injury. You know, kind of fills that role very nicely. I agree. I think he had a very good game against Tennessee in Week 1. So, again, I wouldn't expect him to make the roster or anything, but I think as as a practice squad fullback slash tight end guy, whatever you want to classify him as, I I think he's perfect for that job. 
All right, let's talk about the running backs a little bit because uh, they had a cut this week. Corey Clement is already gone. And uh, uh, based on the order of entry of backs, that was pretty much how it was going in practice because I would not expect a player like Clement to be the, the first guy um, busted. But uh, Davis was first in the game, Hill was second, Beatty was third, and McCrary was fourth. It, it wouldn't shock me if... Beatty went up further. Davis got less playing time. But probably, honestly, the exact same order of running backs is what I would expect in in uh, the second game, even if it's less playing time for Davis at the top of that. Less playing time for Davis also kind of is telegraphing the fact that, that he's made the roster as as the lead back. And I, I I'm not there yet in terms of who he is as a runner or a receiver, obviously in Atlanta, not great yards per touch. Where are you on Mike Davis? I think he's I think he's fine. I'd say the word is fine right now. I would like to see him a bit more in the preseason, not necessarily, you know, play him in the Tennessee game than not play him at all in these next two. I definitely do want to see a little bit more of him, but had a nice blocking pass protection, obviously scored the touchdown and had a couple of good runs, but I do think that we still need to see a little bit more. But I'd agree in the fact that maybe they do decrease Davis's playing time and give Beatty a little bit more. Now, Beatty led the team in carries against Tennessee, but only averaged 3.2 yards per carry. Six for 19, I believe the number was. So, mm-hmm. uh, there, But then there, the offensive line had some miscommunications on some of his runs where like half the line didn't start on one of the plays. And so for him, I'm, a, I'm intrigued by him. I think Beatty is definitely somebody who you would say didn't have an amazing game, but there, there wasn't really a ton to go off of. I think for Davis, though, in particular, there's a lot to like. I just think that I want to see a bit more before I can actually say, hey, look, I'm, I'm completely confident in him as a roster guy who can take some snaps early on. I mean, I, I, I still believe him to be very limited. Um, as a receiver, uh, he's never been a high yards per touch guy. Now, that's true of several of the Ravens guys. Uh, Justice Hill's never been a high yards per touch guy. And, and he, was, he was someone who really showed up in the first game for me. Uh, he, he's a player who I thought, uh, first of all, playing second, that's great. If he's, if he's there, that really says positive things about where the coaches think he, are, he is. I hope what it really means is that they're seeing really good mesh point work out of him. And I don't think you can easily know from watching 11-on-11s. I think you, you pretty much need to see some live fire going on to know how the mesh point is working out because you really need the reaction from a quarterback who's trying to pull the ball reacting to a an enemy who's really our opponent who's really trying hard. Yeah, and, and two points there. One, Justice Hill did impress me too. He he was one of my big risers from the game. And going back to last offseason, Justice Hill did not have a great training camp, did not have a great preseason. If it wasn't for the injury, I don't think he would have made the roster. I think he would have been a final cut for them. So for him to be able to come back, he looked great in pass protection, had burst, it felt like. I, I was very happy in Justice Hill's performance. But you talk about the mesh point, and part of the big thing that went into the Ravens losing J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and Hill is guys who had familiarity at the mesh point with Lamar Jackson, whereas you then bring in Latavius Murray and Devonta Freeman and Le'Veon Bell literally days before the season starts. It wasn't weeks. They didn't have time. The Raiders game was like five days away. So they had to get up to speed with the offense. I think that's another reason why I'm more confident now in the running back room than I was last year when the season started because these guys have been in the system, you know, minicamp, training camp, OTAs, preseason. That's going to be a big part. But Justice Hill overall, I was very impressed, and I'm excited to see what he can do against the Cardinals. Well, I am too, and, and he may just be a temporary solution for this team. He's a fourth-year player, generally speaking. If I'm making up my article about who's who's the likely-to-be-cut players, start with those year-four designations because they got no option value left, and 
you know, they're at a point in their careers where it's, it's what can you do for me right now is the important question. And I think we had some of those questions answered. And the, the big one from Hill was his game as a pass blocker. Uh, because the Ravens don't have that obvious guy. Beatty didn't, did, you know, has not um, been a guy who's always looked good as a pass blocker, certainly not in college. And, and Hill was a guy who I think we saw some of that from in that first game against the Titans. And it would be just fantastic if he could all of a sudden be a third down back and, you know, maybe extend his career with the Ravens even for uh, a year or so if, or a year or two if he, uh, uh, if he could get signed to an extension here. But uh, he, he'd be... The Ravens have lacked that, and if Hill has got the ability to stay on the field on third down and be a guy who can actually go up and attack blocks, that would be a, a big difference in his game. Yeah, and something that might be a bit under the radar is this running back battle between, you know, Edward or not Edwards, between Beatty and Davis and Hill could go into the regular season because if Edwards does have to miss time, it feels like he's not going to be ready for week one. Obviously, we don't know, but the early reports saying that, you know, he's questionable, he's a little further behind, etc. It's not not exactly promising for week one. If he has to miss some time, go on IR, the PUP list, whatever it may be, and the Ravens keep four backs... It could be Dobbins, Davis, Beatty, and Hill. And then when Edwards comes back, maybe the Ravens have to decide who did enough. Was it Justice Hill as a third down back? Was it Davis? Was Beatty that guy? That's interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think there's there's certainly all those are possibilities. Hill gives the Ravens something in terms of an outside runner. If he can handle the mesh point, uh, he can he can run out of pistol or shotgun in terms of what he does. But if he runs out, I'm uh, sorry, a pistol or sidecar, if he runs out of sidecar to be the outside threat, he has the speed to do that. I do not believe Davis does. So it'd be, it'd be another player that's very much like the uh, geriatric crew they had in last year. Who They really didn't even have a single guy who can handle the outside. The one guy they had, they didn't trust with the mesh point. That was Tyson Williams. Yeah, and I think out of all those guys, the one who looked the most impressive was Devonta Freeman, who, to be fair, did not look impressive to start the year, kind of came on strong towards the end of it. But they, they, they lacked a lot of that big playability. that They just couldn't get guys who could get to the outside, as you mentioned, and it really helped the fact that, you know, in 2020, 2021, we saw J.K. Dobbins be able to do that. We saw Gus Edwards be able to. I mean, it, it was important for them to have those types of players. In 2021, they just didn't have it. I really need that stylistic spread of running backs on this team in particular, where the offense is so centered around creating opportunities and stressing the defense for Lamar, but also for the other players on the team. I mean, this, this team runs a lot of counter to spread the field horizontally. They, they, they run outside. They use the jet motion. They have multiple ways to do it, but then they also need backs and Lamar also, guys who can run off tackle or or. A lot of times with, with out of the sidecar, it's Lamar is the running up the middle threat. And if you can get the defense um, to make a, a wrong first step, Lamar can really take advantage of that. So uh, they need those guys who, who actually threaten the outside and force linebackers to make false read steps there and, and uh, make mistakes. Yeah, we, we saw those plays with J.K. Dobbins so often in 2020 where he was able to go across the formation and, and take that ball or, or be the decoy. And Lamar Jackson takes up. We saw that, I think it was against three different Washington. Yep, three different yeah. NFC East teams. I think Philadelphia was one. Maybe it was Dallas. I can't remember exactly. But he did that a ton because the threat of J.K. Dobbins alone made defenses have to account for him which in turn opened up those lanes for Jackson yeah that, that was that was exciting to watch and I, I remember one of the plays where Dobbins was the was the fake Lamar was like about a yard past the line of scrimmage and Dobbins already had his hand in the air there was a <laughs> touchdown there so uh, that was a great play I really visual memory is is a lot of fun with that um 
Let's talk about other other uh, players on offense. I think we've done enough on the running backs. Um, Tyler Huntley, I expect to be to, to play the first half, and Anthony Brown the second. I don't know if we might see a little bit more, a little bit less, but that seems like a reasonable break point. Uh, they're not going to be. I don't think they're going to be trying to be too super careful with with Huntley. And and part of it may be the fact that I'm not sure they love Huntley so much more than they like the idea of resetting the clock with a player like Brown. Well, I think for this game in particular, kind of like what we've been saying with the how much playing time in the first game, second game, third game, we could see the the half of Huntley, then the half of Brown, and then in the final game, it might be a quarter or nothing of Huntley. I'd probably assume more like a quarter. And then you get three quarters of Brown to kind of see what you have there. And I know there's there's been those rumblings across the even like national media outlets saying Tyler Huntley in Seattle, Tyler Huntley here. So if the Ravens get a value offer that they can't refuse you know it wouldn't shock me to see them move on I think right now at this point maybe he still has a little bit of value as Lamar I mean he still has a lot of value as Lamar Jackson's backup but again if if some team calls and says hey we have a first or second round pick for you you know that's something they seriously have to consider well that's not gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) just just saying just uh, they could could give you something I mean if that happens you know they, they don't even have to wait to to uh uh to think about it, certainly they'll they'll just they'll they'll pull the trigger immediately. But but Brown, you know, there's 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 competing factors here. And Brown, obviously, being a first year player versus a third year player, gives you a chance to reset the clock. And anytime you have a chance to do that with an equivalent player, you, you pretty much take it. It's you know, it's if, important. I, I mean, well, it, but I, but I, I'm going to tell you, it's always important to get a four year option on a player if the if the if the two players are equivalent. If things are otherwise equal, that's why Hill is in such in such trouble about making the team. Is he's got to be better than every player with less uh, experience than him, and that makes it makes it very difficult. So uh, Davis is really in the same part. One of the things actually that helps Davis to make this team is the fact that he's handshakeable. Is that he's a guy who creates roster flexibility by being a guy they can cut. Um, and bring back. Yeah, you see, we saw that last year with Anthony Levine. I know people have kind of talked about Tony Jefferson potentially being one of those guys who could be a handshake player. There are a couple others as well. But those are really interesting because, you know, you have to keep the guys on your 53-man you're going to put on IR. And sometimes that can create a bit of, of roster tightness when it comes to keeping guys you want to keep but you just can't. So for handshake agreements, the Ravens have done a good job at utilizing those over the past couple of seasons. Yeah, they've been fantastic with it. Last year, by the way, just go through this really quickly. Justin Ellis cut played 35.3% of the snaps on the season. Pernell McPhee cut, played 21.2% of the snaps. Eric Tomlinson cut, played 26% of the snaps. And Anthony Levine cut and was the special teams captain. So you know, they've, they've certainly have done quite a bit of that. And, uh, and the Ravens are, are not afraid to make those deals. I, I think, you know, the, the guy they're starting, Mike Linebacker, could get that deal this year. And Josh Bynes is is very much a, a, a chance to be cut. He's one of the obvious kind of guys to go through that, making vet minimum money. Um, I was pointed out to me today that he has a he has a bonus that might make it a little less obvious in his case. Um, but uh, but still, you know, he's a guy. I think he wants to stay in Baltimore. His comments at the podium, I just loved at the end of last year, saying they're going to have to drag me out of here, or they're going to have to drag me out of here. They're going to kick me out of here. Whatever it was, it was very positive. <laughs> and it's the stuff you see with veterans all the time. And we, we heard Stephen Means talk at the podium and talked about how much he, he values the Ravens organization. And it, it goes very. I mean, Tony Jefferson, you know, 
talking about why he calls this place home despite starting his career in Arizona and going to a couple other stops after the injury that he had. So I think for Baltimore, they don't have to worry about a guy going elsewhere, especially in a handshake agreement type deal, because they know that they're such a good organization. They're, they're good at their players and the players know that, you know, there's no place like Baltimore and, and it really makes a difference. Yeah. Very cool. Um, let's move on to the wide receiver stuff. So, you know, I think we're, we'd basically be in agreement. We expect to see very little from Bateman and Duvernay in this game. I don't honestly think there's a lot to be done. Uh, Duvernay probably could use more live fire reps, but does it really matter if they're Huntley reps? Does it matter if the ball's being schemed out quickly? Does it really matter to get Duvernay in there? I mean, I think the, the, the value of getting Duvernay in there is to try and get him in there in extended play opportunities and see what he can do. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe, we, again, like we see a series of Bateman, a series of Duvernay, but it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if we didn't see either of them. And maybe that's the maybe that's the better decision anyway. But I think for the other guys, I don't expect Percher Wallace to play. So you're, you're looking at the younger guys here. Yep, great, great opportunity for those four or five receiver spots. And, you know, I say four or five right now. They might be the five, six guys by the time we get to the opener. But it also wouldn't surprise me if a player like Wallace or even Prochet has to start the year on IR. Both would both will make the roster, but the one or both have to start on IR and not come back till week four. And then you've got a couple opportunities. And, and as it stands right now, these guys are going to get snaps in order to get tape, whether that's for here or somewhere else. Um, and and uh, definitely could be uh, uh, candidates to do some good. Shamar Bridges, a big game of going up for the football, of using his body well, of catching the ball effectively when contested, when the cornerback is not looking for the football. Kind of the best opportunity for a big guy and not necessarily something that's easily repeatable during the regular season against number one corners. And something I talked about with Bridges in comparison to a player like a, a Miles Boykin, for example, who also had the size, is Shamar Bridges played big. He's a big body who knows how to use his body and play that way. And I think for a lot of people with Miles Boykin, some of the issue was that he wasn't playing big. And it, it caused a couple issues. And obviously the connection with Lamar Jackson and Miles Boykin was a whole other situation. But I'm excited to see if Shamar Bridges does make this team, his connection with Lamar Jackson. Obviously, in the first game, we did not see him with Lamar Jackson. But if you were an undrafted wide receiver, one of the best opportunities for you in 2022 is to come to Baltimore and to try to fight for a spot on this roster. And the Ravens brought in very talented players. Bridges, Makai Polk, who led the team in targets with eight, had six catches. Slade Bolden, who didn't, didn't get a chance to play in week one, but I'm assuming is going to get some time to play here in week two. Devin Williams, who is not with the team anymore, but still, you know, it was the, it was the big body type players they were looking for. They signed a bunch of them. And so I, I'd, I'd be pretty shocked if one of those guys didn't end up making it in the event that the Ravens still don't bring in a veteran here. Right, and even maybe even if they do bring in a veteran, that one of them's here for the opener. You know, we see five receivers. That are, if I guess if you're going to have an inactive wide receiver every week, there's no reason to have a fifth wide receiver on the team when you can have them on the practice squad instead, and they could be available for elevations that, that way. But uh, uh, it, there certainly are players here who um, you know look like they could add something to the Ravens' offense. One of the problems is that. The Ravens don't have a lot of opportunity for a big slot receiver. So a lot of these slower, use-your-body-well guys, and, and Shamar Bridges is, you know, could be that guy. He could be a big slot receiver. Uh, they'd be using him on the outside, obviously, but uh, he doesn't have the elite speed. He may or may not 
have the elite physicality to get off press coverage at the line of scrimmage. I don't think we can really say off that game. There was a lot of uh, play at the line of scrimmage, but there wasn't a whole lot of press, not a lot of real attempts to press him, uh, get their hands on him, meaning right off the line of scrimmage. I, I'm, I'm not sure we know yet. I uh, did like what Polk did. I like some of the late hands from Polk we saw. Uh, particularly down on the catch down the right sideline uh, that he made in over a cornerback again who had not found the football, but he didn't give away the, the, the location of it with his hands too early. Yeah, I, I was impressed. And we saw the connection with Anthony Brown too, which I, I really, really did like because it wasn't just one one quarterback who these guys got to play with. They got to play with multiple. And it was really impressive to see. So in this game in particular, I'm expecting heavy doses of Shamar Bridges, heavy doses of Makai Polk, Jalen Moore, Benjamin Victor, some of those guys as well who also are competing for those spots as guys who have been with the team for a couple of years now. Yeah, Benjamin Victor, uh, but you'd have to consider him a pretty good chance too. If he if he can give the and, and this may be what it comes down to is that the Ravens also, in addition to receivers, need good good gunners. And if if they can find their guy or the guy who can cover on kickoffs that that they really like, uh, if that ends up being Polk or Bridges or. Um, Jalen Moore, maybe, uh, that would really help that player's case. I, I don't believe there should be any player on the roster who can't make a contribution both on offense and special teams or on defense and special teams. I think we've had that conversation before, Kevin. But, but if, there, if, uh, if you've got a guy and, you, and he's fighting for the fifth receiver spot, but the, where he's going to get most of his snaps is on special teams, and where you can really help your chances. Yeah, and we saw Chris Moore make make a living in Baltimore, being that gunner. Maybe a few seasons too long for some fans, but I still think that Miles Boykin they liked him as a gunner. Justice Hill has played some really good gunner snaps for them. So to have Tyler that ability, Wallace. yep, exactly. Tyler Wallace, another one. So to add that to your resume, John Harbaugh talked about it in his post game press conference about Shamar Bridges, how he liked the special teams contribution. So it's a big part of what the Ravens do, and that's why. You can you can single-handedly make the team just by playing special teams. Yep, that's exciting. Uh, who do we have? Otherwise, we want to talk about interesting Jordan Stout in the first game. I thought just get to a quick quick special teams cut while we go through here. Uh, two different approaches to the football on kickoffs, which I found very interesting. Uh, you know, watching the game, I'm like this. This isn't the same way he kicked off, but the first time he's kicking off from a, a typical five-yard run-up. Uh, same kind of thing you'd see from Tucker on any kick that wasn't a um, onside kick. He would typically run up, and I, I'm not sure why, but they had him try two or three kickoffs using a three by two place kicking alignment. So three by two means you back up three steps and you go left two steps. That's a that's what a standard three by two kicker is. But anyway, I, I, he's using that, which basically means he's only running up three yards to kick the ball. I can't believe you can generate the same kind of power kicking the ball with a three yard run up as a five. But his leg is very strong and it maybe he feels like he can control the ball better in terms of where he places it, kind of just approaching it as if it's a place kick. Really weird and very interesting that the Ravens would would try that. Yeah, there are so many nuances to his game, it feels like, and even stuff I'm sure we haven't even seen yet from him, but the fact that he can obviously punt the way that he does, he can kick field goals, he, he's very good at, he's a holder, he takes value in his holding, and obviously the kickoffs too, 
he, he's a do-it-all player. I, I know a lot of the conversation kind of shifted to, to the punt god over there in Buffalo and in his 82-yard punt that netted 62. But you see with Stout, the ball placement, the ability to pin opponents back within the 20, much like we saw Sam Cook do for so many years in the Ravens uniform. It just feels like Stout is like the, the younger version of Cook. And, and I'm very pleased with him so far. It was really nice to see him, you know, those booming punts. He, he has a leg on him. He has He's a very powerful punter too, which, I, which is very good. Yeah, you know, sometimes you don't know what they're exactly trying to do in preseason. And one thing that I did not like from Stout was the kicks going out of bounds. I mean, you should be trying to trap the other team. If you want to kick it out of bounds, kick it out of bounds inside the 10, the old coffin corner from when I grew up for people, old-timey folks who, who remember that term. Uh, but anyway, the, the, just being able to pin a return man towards the sideline has a lot of value. And, you know, force him to make bad decisions there about whether or not he, he, he takes the ball, whether or not he makes a fair catch, whether or not he lets it go, and you may end up getting a, 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 a down ball. But I, I like having the ball, kickoff or punt, kicked into a corner where, where the, uh, but more on a punt because it's not a risk of penalty, uh, that, that you, uh, you get a ball kicked into a corner where the return guys have an extra chance to, to, uh, to cover that kick. I want to talk about that too because the Ravens put a lot of defensive value on the field for their punt coverage unit. Now they had a variety of guys gunning, but for most of the game at least, they had, they had Stone as the personal protector, which is a little bit mild surprise to me that it wasn't Jefferson. But if you look at the, who the wings were on the punt coverage team, is Jefferson on the left and Hamilton on the right. And I'll just tell you, that is an ungodly quality uh, coverage team when you start with those three players. Uh, you know your 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 personal protectors. Also, your kind of your inside gunner. Uh, your your two wing players there. They have a blocking responsibility, but then they got to get down the field in a hurry. And you want you know talented, good tacklers there. That is a very talented group. They they are um, projecting to have there. Yeah, and. I remember when they put an Afeoye gunner in that game against the Saints, the first preseason game last year, and he, he ran down that field. But yeah, I, it's really interesting to see because they have a bunch of players who can do that, who can be those gunners. The fact that it was Stone and not Jefferson, I, I agree, a little surprising also, but it's kind of almost like, you know, Stone is taking over for Anthony Levine, which is kind of cool considering back goals at 2020 and that Colts mic'd up that Stone and Levine were talking to each other and Levine was giving Stone advice and everything. So kind of cool that that came full circle. But yeah, I think when you're looking at it, you have size out there with Hamilton and with Jefferson. You have guys who can get down there. And that's the most important thing, get down there and be able to cover the punts. I think those three can do it, but they have other options if they want to explore it over these next two games. Yeah, I don't know what amount of special teams Tony Jefferson has played over his career. He certainly played some last year when he returned to the Ravens. I'm wondering how much he played earlier in his career with the Cardinals and with the Ravens when he's a starter, because that typically excludes you from being on the special teams unit if you're if you're the starting strong safety. Strong, I mean, I, I don't think we'll see either Chuck Clark or Marcus Williams playing special teams this year. Okay, even though Chuck Clark, you know, we're not even sure he'll play 100 percent of the snaps. Probably will, but but we're not. We're not 100% sure that's going to be the way that, that, that plays out. Hamilton, it'll be interesting. He may be a special teams ace in his first year in the league just as, as part of what he does with a more limited defensive role, maybe 50 60% of snaps. Right, and we saw, you know, 
younger Marlon Humphrey, younger Matt Judon play snaps mm-hmm. when they were clear and established starters and really, really good players. So it's not unlike the Ravens to play guys who have established roles on defense. It, the gunner spots are on special teams and have those special teams roles. It's another way for them to get on the field. And those two guys, you know, they didn't have a problem with it. And I don't think Hamilton would either. So I'm intrigued to see what they do. I think that we could also maybe see some wide receivers get some like Shamar Bridges. Maybe we see him at gunner a little bit too, just to see what he has. But I think if you want to go into the year with those three safeties is, is your options. I think that's completely okay. All right. Well, looking forward to that. Let's, let's roll it over to the defense and talk a little bit about, about uh, who's there to, to, to play significant snaps in the second game. We'll start with the defensive line. Um, Coleus Campbell is a player I really don't expect to see the entire preseason. I do not think there is a reason for it. He's the Ravens' best defensive player last year still. Uh, you know, even at 37, even with not a well, 37, he's not quite that. I think he was 36 last year, but but it didn't have a uh, a big sack year uh, by any stretch. But uh, still outstanding at affecting plays, play after play, with a combination of pressure, uh, great penetration against the run, and, and ability to blow up plays even when he's not making the tackle. Yeah, and part of it with him last year, he played by far the most snaps on that defensive line. And in a year where many wanted him to have his snaps managed. So obviously injuries, COVID situations earlier in the year played a role in that. But for him in particular, this is going to be a big year for the Ravens to, again, they have the depth now to be able to do that with, you know, veterans such as Pearson Urban. You can throw Justin Matabike in there. Travis Jones, obviously, who had a great game on Thursday night against Tennessee. Even Broderick Washington. That position is one of my favorites on this team, and I think it allows the Ravens to utilize Campbell in situations where, you know, he can still go out there and play a heavy amount of snaps, but you want to keep him fresh for November, December, January, hopefully even February if you're the Ravens, and I think they have the ability to do that. Yeah, that, sh- that should be a position where the Ravens, if they want, can uh, can um, put five, uh, sorry, put six on the roster, activate four or five on game day. And it's also a source of a couple of deactivations if they want them, one or two, uh, on a weekly basis. But they'll, it's also a position where we've seen from the Ravens in the last few years, they've always had somebody dinged up on that line. They probably also have had some pitch count issues. In in games, I always say with defensive snaps, it's not just a matter on the defensive line of how many you get in a game, it's how many in a row you have. So you don't want your defensive lineman playing six or seven snaps in a row if you can avoid it. With players like Campbell, they obviously couldn't avoid it, <laughs> and they needed to get him on for, for a lot of snaps because he's, he's the best player they've got. So uh, uh, hopefully they, uh, uh, you know, they have other options this year, and they can, they can do more to, to reduce that count. Last year, 57.4% of snaps for Campbell on defense. The next highest on the Ravens was Matt Abike at 44.1%. Um, then Brandon Williams at 40.9%, still getting a pretty heavy workload in his uh, what appears to be his final NFL season. Yeah, and even the Ravens' depth pieces they have now, Aaron Crawford, even Isaiah Mack is someone who had a great game against Cincinnati mm-hmm. in that 525 game, obviously, but had had some sacks on Joe Burrow, and I think also has shown some flashes. He, he's, a, he's a practice squad guy, I think. I, I don't think he'll make this roster outright, but a player who could be one of those weekly call-ups when, you, when you're thinking later in the year. Yeah, I, I personally, I believe he'll be gone. That they'll cut him, and some of the teams are really going to want him. He's he's he like all the defensive linemen really look good against Tennessee. They got a lot of individual pressure events, a lot of individual one-on-one wins that weren't scheme related in that first game against Tennessee. I know Tennessee has some suspect issues with their twos on the defensive line, but the Ravens defenders really look good. Mack is one of those players. You know, he's been around a little bit in the league now. People saw that game against Cincinnati last year. Uh, the Ravens had the, you know, the, the rights to him this year, but I think he probably ends up 
cut by the Ravens because they just don't have room and picked up by some other team. Uh, and, you know, you and I both know that the Ravens' defensive line practice squad players have been poached probably more than any other position almost in the entire NFL. Uh, you know, they, they, they typically have a lot of defensive line depth, and, and it's the first place you look if you're one of the other 31 GMs. Yeah, and it shows how, how well they're able to develop those guys. Even a guy like Rayshon Nichols, you know, an undrafted guy for them, played a pretty decent game against Tennessee. So you're hoping you can get some of those guys on the practice squad. Aaron Crawford's another one where you, you mm-hmm. if you cut him, what's the likelihood you can sneak him onto the practice squad? Probably, I mean, he's been there for the past couple of seasons. I think this might be the year that another team finally picks him up and gives him a shot. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think the risk would be high on that. And even if Crawford weren't picked up initially, um, the replacement level at the NFL is a moving target as the season goes on, and it's, it's declining, obviously. So at positions like cornerback and defensive line, as the injuries pile up, what you'll accept in a player is less and less and less. Uh, and so, you, you know, you're, you're looking very carefully at cornerbacks you'd never consider on week one or defensive linemen you'd never consider in week one. A player like Aaron Crawford, who would be, you know, right at the margin of making an NFL roster anyway, uh, is definitely a player you think about uh, about picking up when you're when you're down a defensive lineman and it's November. And he's been there for the past couple of years, like right on the edge, like the 54, 55, 56th guy. So I think now, again, with a couple really good games here against the Cardinals and against Washington, you, you, you could see him definitely get picked up somewhere. Yep, outstanding. Uh, uh, Rashard, I think uh, Nichols is probably the most likely to stick on the on the practice squad. I assume they will offer him that, but it may be a case where they try and uh, start out and see if they can keep Mack and Crawford for a few weeks. Tell Rashard Nichols, hey, stay in shape, and and he's uh, he, he's around to to be picked up later. Yeah, they they have they have enough there. Like the six guys they have provide them with enough starting depth to feel comfortable, assuming nobody gets hurt in these final two games or whatnot. But then you start to get into the later parts of the year. You want to manage some guys' snap counts. Maybe the Ravens do. There's an injury that happens. Then at that point, maybe Crawford's gone. Maybe Mack is gone, and you have to kind of figure out some outside options that can help you. Guys who are cut from other teams, you might have to pick up. All right, let's keep going to outside linebacker here because I think there's some there's some interesting things going on. Obviously, some not good things happened this week, but Chuck Kiley, uh, Chuck Wiley was cut by the Ravens after playing a, a fairly significant amount of time. Uh, I thought you know a, a potential practice squad guy for the Ravens probably an outside linebacker, but clearly their number eight guy uh, on an eight man group. Um, they had their five through eight guys really playing this game. Now Oway did play one snap. I'm not counting that, but otherwise they had Means uh, Moon. Hayes and Wiley were the four guys who were there, and the guys who started the game, of course, were were Mean and Means and Hayes. There is not a good answer to how you deploy your outside linebackers in this second preseason game. Unlike other positions where they have a lot of options of of you know maybe we can just give the entire game to a to a Daryl Worley or somebody like that, you you, you don't have that option at outside linebacker. You, the guys you're playing are guys who you might need during the season. And you should be concerned about about how much playing time they get. Hayes, in particular, is a guy uh, I would expect to see a lot of action early in the season with Tyus Bowser. Uh, Tyus Bowser's health still in question. Yeah, and you know we could see a heavy dose of Stephen Means here. I think as well. Hayes is somebody you mentioned, Ken, who 
I think has been relatively quiet throughout training camp so far based on all accounts, based off at least what we heard from him last year where he was a standout of camp. And then, yeah, you're looking at the other guys, Jeremiah Moon as well. Chuck Wiley, I, I think Chuck Wiley's still on the roster. I think Baltimore, they were they were going to cut him. And then Aaron Wilson reported later in the day that they opted not to because Trent Harris got injured and they placed him on injured reserve. So they, I think Wiley's still on the roster, if I'm not mistaken. So they have him, and if, if he is still on the roster, if I'm not mistaken there, he's a guy we could see a lot out of. And it, it's unfortunate for Harris because he was signed literally less than a week ago now. And you are correct. I see that Wiley here is still on the roster. Now, one thing about the roster, the little trick, if you're going up the Ravens' website, you want to look at their printable roster and not the rosters on page one. The roster on page one has had some errors. In fact, Anthony Brown wasn't on it, and they had some guys with the wrong amount of service time. I saw they corrected the Anthony Brown thing, but I did want to check on Chuck Wiley, and Chuck Wiley is still there on, on these uh, other printable rosters, and those are the ones I know they keep much better care of those, and, and they, they tend to be uh, more likely to be correct. So uh, that's, that's interesting, and that obviously – is a great relief in terms of how the Ravens will be able to get through this game. Uh, I, I would have seen Owe and um, Houston. I'd be kind of interested to see how they start the game to see if they would line up Owe as a Sam linebacker and Houston on the rush side to see if they might even just do that on third down. But I, I think this is a game where we might see a few snaps out, out of Adafi Owe. Again, you know, I'm not talking 20, but maybe eight. Uh, maybe the same out of Houston. Maybe you know, maybe an ideal world they they have two straight three and outs, and he plays you know four of those plays maybe, but <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, I, I, Owe played one snap against Tennessee, a, a good snap at that. So I think yeah, if we see four, five, six out of him, completely content with that. Same thing. Maybe if you're putting Houston on the on the lower end of that, maybe three, four, five, that, that that's fine. Yeah, but I think now with with Moon, Wiley, Hayes, you have Stephen Means there too. They have options that they can use, which I think is good because again, you don't want to go into a preseason game with too little depth in a position. I think for outside linebacker, they can do a couple things. Well, I do appreciate you correcting on me, me on that because that's something that really makes me feel a lot better about getting through this second game at, at, on the edge here. The, the, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm of those guys, I want to see what Hayes has in coverage on that same side. And we'll see how much that develops, how often it comes up. Hayes probably ends up playing about a half of this game, just like he played the first game. And if so, there should be opportunities for him to drop to coverage and not just rush the passer. Uh, I also want to see what he's got against the run. Uh, one of the things from the first game was Hayes didn't look that good um, rushing the passer and getting picked up by eligible receivers in this first game. So got blocked by some tight ends and a running back at least once. So uh, not, not ideally what you want to see. Yeah, and we, we heard John Harbaugh talk a little about a little bit about how Malik Harrison could get some time at Sam. I'm interested to see if that ends up coming to fruition. I wouldn't anticipate a ton, if any, of that happening. But who, who knows? Maybe we get surprised and we see a little bit. Yeah, if if it was a kind of a necessity, and maybe if Chuck Wiley was gone, maybe that'd be the option for Malik Harrison to, to step in. One thing, if you see care being taken with Malik Harrison, like he's not playing in the second half at all, which I think could happen, um, if then that means he's clearly made the roster, which I think is probably true anyway after that very first good first game. He, coming to camp, he's, he's on the bubble because you don't really know where his trust is with Harbaugh. You don't know what kind of level he has. He seemed like he's fairly loose at camp with this whole riddle me this thing he's doing every day. You've been seeing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, the, the, uh, uh, it, it seems like 
he's he's feeling pretty good about making the roster. But uh, uh, that first game obviously was a big step up in terms of playing his first football really since week seven of last year. He only played one defensive snap in that whole intervening time. Yeah, I, I was impressed with him. Obviously, there were some plays that weren't as impressive. Uh, the stiff arm where he got, he missed a couple tackles as well. But yeah. he, he was flying around the field. Obviously, he had the forced fumble that Kyle Hamilton recovered. And really just felt like he was playing with a lot more confidence than we saw over his first couple of seasons, which was we, we saw the same thing with Patrick Queen last preseason. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he does in the second preseason game. You're right. If, if he doesn't play the entire second half, very, very good prospects in terms of just what his role could be on this team. And if the Ravens do only keep three, four inside linebackers, that again shows that, you know, he could have a big role alongside those guys like Queen and even Vines. Right. I, one of the nice things that, that makes him a good candidate to be your third inside linebacker is that he can, I think, step in at either spot, Mike or Will. Um, I, I kind of feel like he should have been the Mike linebacker. They should have been making him the, the guy who would be the Mike as opposed to Queen. And then you can always change that on third down. If you want to keep Queen in on third down, if he suddenly develops pass or sorry, not pass rushing skills, because that's the thing he's really got. If, if he suddenly develops coverage skills and you know good awareness on third down, you can you can shift that. You can move him over uh, to play next to a next to a dime linebacker. Otherwise, uh, so I don't I don't really see a problem with with having trying to develop Harrison as a two-down Mike. Uh, what, unfortunately, we really haven't seen is we still haven't seen Harrison develop as a coverage player. And, uh, and that'll be a lot of, of what's determined. Whoever the Ravens leave on an inside linebacker, I think it's fair to say this year they're likely to be heavily picked on. That, that you know, when they have a safety in the game, when they have one inside linebacker and they have you know, this murderer's row on the back end, uh, particularly of zone defenses, I mean, they're, they're going to pick on the inside linebacker spot, whoever that is, whether that's Queen or Harrison, Bynes, two, some combination of two of those playing on early downs that we're going to see a lot of targeting done of them. And that includes some screen passes and some opportunities to get down the field. But um, the Ravens will be best, I, I think, when they're playing with a lead and have the ability to play guys well off ball, keep eyes in the backfield, and react to what the quarterback does, get some tip balls, get some picks that way. Uh, when the other teams are kind of getting desperate and having to throw the ball every down. Yeah, and something that we saw, especially well, even dating back a couple of years, is the Ravens had struggled to check tight ends and check running backs with some of their line. And this goes back to like even C.J. Mosley, who was his strong suit is not in coverage. But when you're talking about a player like Queen, who, again, has struggled in coverage at times during his first couple of years in the NFL, Harrison hasn't really shown anything there also. You have so many talented safeties, so obviously you can check tight ends and running backs with safeties too. Like you, you can line up guys all over the place. It's not just a linebacker's job. But when you have that talented safety room, when you have guys like Marlon Humphrey who can also play against bigger players, yeah, I, I think if there was a, a player on defense that opposing offenses are going to look at and say, we need to get to this guy because we're not going to try to challenge the other ones, it probably will be that linebacker spot. Right. Definitely, definitely a possibility. Uh, slot corner is maybe the other place where, where the Ravens will be challenged. I think Pepe might be up to it, but uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll see how that, uh, how that goes. But the Ravens, I, I do expect them to have a lot of diamond quarter alignments this year, a lot of opportunities to get those inside linebackers off the field. I've mentioned before, I think this stands a chance to be one of the lowest ever inside linebacker per play years for the Ravens. I believe their record is 2019. Uh, and I have to I have to go back and get you the exact number of inside linebackers per play, but they played a lot of diamond quarter that year, at 42% diamond and uh, and change. Actually, I think it's 42% diamond quarter, so six plus defensive backs. Uh, so they 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 do have 
from the past a will to take inside linebackers off the field. We obviously have a different defensive coordinator. We don't exactly know what he's about. And they're certainly not showing us anything from this first preseason game. We didn't see anything really unusual in terms of defense, except unless you want to count the 32 dime played at the end of the first half for two plays. Yeah, that, that doesn't shock me. You know, I don't think these teams want to go into the preseason and say we're going to lay it all out on the, ta- on the table for you, yeah. to lay it all out on film so you can see what we're doing in the first game. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd expect them to keep it rather basic. Maybe we'll see a couple more things thrown in, like one or two things over the next couple games. But it's interesting because I, I, I agree in the fact that they just don't need to have inside low more than one inside linebacker on the field for a lot of these plays this year when they have the depth they do at safety and when they have a guy like Chuck Clark who has had so much success playing in a dime spot and you can use 60B packages and all the versatility the Ravens love to move their guys around so that's why again we, we kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier and the fact that it wouldn't shock me if the Ravens keep four or three inside linebackers this year initially in some years when we've seen them keep five or six yeah, I, I would, it would not shock me either, and it would definitely allow them to have some other players kept at other positions when if they don't think they're poachable players. You know, Zacoby McLean, the one guy who had a really good game this this first game, really loved what Josh Ross did. Um, you know, he, he had a really nice stick, and also that, that the play to pop up the ball that was intercepted by Stone was just an awareness we have not commonly seen from inside linebackers on pass plays. And it was, again, it was a play that was slightly behind him, so it was a between level two and three play, the point at which uh, receivers seemed to become invisible to our our, uh, inside linebacker crew. So it was really nice to see that, and uh, a good athletic play, too, to, to, to get his hand in there, pop that ball up, and then an equally great play by Geno Stone to come up and, and gobble it up. And you just you see this out of your out of your second team guy and, and admittedly from Stone, a guy who had no business being on the field with the quality of players that were on there at that time. I mean, Stone is just Stone is here that my hand is up high and, and the, the other players were down there. But the fact was the Ravens tried to create two safety groups or right? a strong free safety in each half maybe even kind of a concession to winning the game because it would have been a perfect sense to have Stone and Hamilton start the game together and, and, and play together. But they decided, no, we, we kind of want to have a strong safety pairing each chance. So they put Hamilton with Jefferson. They put with Stone with uh, Pepe in the second half. And that really proved to be a very potent combination for that second half. Yeah, you go back to Josh Ross, and I think, again, the Ravens have had so much success with undrafted inside linebackers especially if you want to go back to the the Jamil McClain's the Nell Ellerby's you could talk about Josh Bynes who was an undrafted linebacker from them but I think yeah it's that Michigan connection coming over with Mike McDonald and Ryan Osborne and he he played very well and in a, in a group that also does include Jacoby McClain I'm interested to see those guys because if there is a fourth linebacker that's added does one of those guys push Christian Welch out of that fourth spot and kind of take that over are, are there guys who can maybe you can cut them and then bring them back on the practice squad and have them be those elevations we talked about and then, yeah Geno Stone was just he, he was phenomenal I mean he was a player heading into camp I thought maybe there'd be if Ardarius Washington was healthy to start camp there was going to be a battle between those two I think Stone at this point is pretty much a very roster 100% lock. roster lock at least not at least 99% roster lock I mean if if he didn't believe it based on his defense which is terrific and his fourth safety has value to, to the Ravens he's, he's the personal protector 
in, in all these snaps he kept. I mean, he's obviously going to be the, the, uh, a guy they keep around. And it's not they couldn't have Jefferson do that, but Jefferson, if anything, is a weaker copy of Stone, a guy who is going to be in, in even more extreme defensive packages and could maybe do what Stone does as well on special teams in terms of, of being the personal protector and having a set of responsibilities. But I, I, I think Stone's pretty clearly ahead of Jefferson, and I still think Jefferson's almost 100% lock. And, and why I say that, he will not make the team with the cut of 53. He'll definitely be off then because he's, he's a, a certain handshake player. But then coming back for week one, I think it's very, very likely mm, 85%, 88% that he's, that he's on the team. Uh, for that first game and you're talking about safeties and I mentioned our Darius Washington as a guy who you know I thought maybe they could have stashed him on IR if, if everything again if he's, if he's healthy he's healthy but he's a player that the Ravens clearly liked a lot coming out of TCU I mean I had a third fourth round grade on him I thought he was that good and now it becomes a question of do the Ravens again go with one less inside linebacker to keep Washington on the roster as a sixth safety slash slot corner guy who can play there. It's it's interesting because I, I don't really know where he stands. I think he's talented and he's too talented to make it to the practical. And I think if he, if he gets cut, he's automatically getting picked up by somebody else. Right. I would agree. And uh, he won't get cut. He'll be part of the 53 and he'll probably go to IR for the first four weeks would be my guess based on, on where things are right now. But that's a case of he's, he's a case of you don't have to concern about our Darius Washington at the at the fringe of the roster. The Ravens obviously I obviously maybe I think they believe in our Darius Washington. I think he's pretty clearly the backup slot corner in a system where they'd really like to keep Humphrey on the outside because of some, frankly, some very significant weaknesses they have at outside corner. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I think it makes all kinds of sense for them to, to keep him there. I believe in Pepe. I, I believe he's the, he's the, he'll be the starter, but then I, I, I really believe our Darius Washington, just in terms of versatility, brings the defensive backfield is not going to be somebody that the Ravens let hit the street. And you talk about outside corner. I mean, someone who, and I've talked about it on my show, someone who I'd like to see step up and who knows what the playing time situation is going to be, but Kyle Fuller, someone who has not had a strong start to training camp, someone who we've we've heard by all accounts, you know, it's someone catches a touchdown, it was over Kyle Fuller. This happens and it was over. So if the Ravens don't get the play they need out of him, that's a situation where maybe there's a guy who gets cut during cutdown day. But I'm, I'm interested. I don't know if he would play at all during the Cardinals game. I, I assume maybe so. But the outside corner depth has a lot to do with Kyle Fuller. And if he doesn't play the way that I think the Ravens want him to, it could get a little dicey. Right. I don't know what to do with him because I think they've guaranteed him the money. But, I mean, it's sunk cost at this point. So he's, he's making about $3 million, and I believe it's all guaranteed. So if it, the Ravens can't really get out of this. Just in, in retrospect, it's, it's one of the worst contracts you can potentially have is to have a veteran like that. I know he made nine million last year, so probably he used that as leverage to try and say, "Well, I'm not going to sign for one million. I made nine million last year. How about three million? That's kind of the Jimmy Smith level, where you keep around a cornerback you like, and and you know he does well. Jimmy Smith deserved three million to be the available guy at the back end of the roster that you hoped you didn't have to use, and yet you did every single year. You know <laughs> that he ends up taking a, a, a key role for you. But Kyle Fuller, there's, I mean, he hasn't played well in a while. Uh, last year he got benched twice during the season. Uh, you know they, they moved him to slot corner because of a because of a unbelievable need on the on the Broncos, and you know it, you can just see the backpedaling comments they made about him with Vic Fangio is like you know there's a guy who's never played slot corner in his life kind of thing. Well, he doesn't mean that in that 
Um, I thought he played better than any slot corner I've ever seen. What he means by that is I think he played very well for a guy who's never played slot corner in his entire life. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of these things. That you say, it's a backhanded kind of a cop. And I, I really want to do a show on subtext that, that, that <laughs> like gets into some of the things that coaches say and, and how I would interpret them differently <laughs> in terms of that. It's, but anyway, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think they probably need to look at Fuller and really just decide, do they have a player they really like better at the end of camp, even at the, the cost that that might in, incur? Well, it's, it's also the fact that Jalen Umber Davis has missed some time here in training camp. Obviously, he leaves Wednesday's practice with a, with a head thing, so who knows what, what his situation is right now. Hopefully, everything's okay, but we did see the Ravens sniffing around Xavier Howard last year at the trade deadline, so maybe that's a position where if they're not getting the play they need, if Marcus Peters is still working his way back a couple months into the season, they could look to acquire somebody else there just to have the depth that Fuller's not working out, Peters is working back, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, they played Pepe on the outside in that first game. He might be a guy who ends up playing out there. Washington could get played earlier in the season at the slot. It wouldn't be impossible to see that kind of thing happen, develop out of need. Uh, Williams seems to be a guy they really believe in. So that's the good news about all this. The bad news is pretty much everything else. They played without six of their seven top cornerbacks in the first game. And they're going to play without a bunch of them in the second game, too, because Marcus Peters ain't playing. Humphrey, I don't think, is playing. Uh, Justin Armour Davis, uh, 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 Jalen Armour Davis, sorry, I don't believe he'll be playing in this third game. So uh, that does not leave much. They'll probably see a fair amount of Pepe. Williams is the guy on the defensive side of the ball that is most like Isaiah Likely, a guy who is young, and maybe the Ravens want to see what he can do, but they've got to be careful. This guy's too important to this team to allow to be over overtaxed in terms of snaps for the remainder of the preseason. And does he need some live fire? Sure. But I think they know what they have, and they know he's probably going to be starting game one at, at, at slot corner, or he'll be, you know, if not starting, you know, playing a lot of slot corner in that, in that game. Last thing you want is an injury there. Yeah. With, with how much their cornerback room hinges, I think, on a couple of players in terms of if you like Pepe Williams is not the best corner on the roster, but I think he is one of the more important players on that defense because of the versatility to play inside. They tried him outside, as you talked about safety as well. That, that's, a, that's a lot of roles that one player can play and potentially take some of the burden off these other players. And even, you know, talking about his size, he's 5'10", he plays bigger than 5'10", plays yep. a lot bigger than 5'10", which I really like about him. And yeah, you just, you lose, to, it's almost like the wide receiver question. You, you lose a guy, like let's say you're in week eight and Rashad Bateman goes down for a couple weeks and James Prochet goes down for a couple weeks. Where are you at? If you're talking about corner and Pepe Williams goes down for a couple weeks and Brandon Stevens, let's say, goes down for a couple weeks. Where are you there? It's the same kind of principle, I think. Yeah, they're, they're going to have to. They're certainly going to have to know health-wise where they are before they, you know, make a big move like cutting Fuller. But that would kind of be the precursor, and that honestly may be one of the things that saves Fuller is that you know the the, the Ravens know he's probably their seventh or eighth best cornerback of of the group they have, but they'll keep him 
as the fifth because they have so many concerns about you know who's hurt going into the season and and uh, and starting. But they they need to be very careful with snaps. And I, I really I didn't like it at first, but I really liked the fact that they had Seymour and Worley playing for as many snaps as they did in this game. And also Robert Jackson, who's already been cut, uh, played a lot of snaps in this first game and and. Uh, Relieved. In fact, he was in there from beginning to end as the as the uh, a guy in nickel um, who was there. I, I I would love to see that again. The only guy who got playing time who I think is going to play any significant number of snaps for the Ravens this year was Pepe. He's the only guy who played corner this uh, this this game. And the the like age old thing for the Ravens on defense is the fact that they start the year with so many corners on their mm-hmm. team, and then by the end of the year they have like two healthy ones, and they they've signed guys from other teams' practice squads, guys off the street, and it, it's happened for the past. Even if you want to go back to the 2014 season when they had to sign Rashawn Melvin off the street for the it was playoff, good, actually. yeah, who actually yeah. played played well, yeah. but you know it, it was the, it's those kinds of signings that they've had for so many different years here, and obviously you're hoping that Marcus Peters can be the guy that he was before the injury you never know though you know obviously he's back off the pup list in that ramp up period but yeah pepe williams is a player that you know when, when he was drafted with that last fourth round pick that they had people i think not not a, not a lot of people were familiar with his game a lot of people looked at guys on that houston defense like you know marcus jones for example who what was he's now with the patriots but i think he's such an important part now he's kind of turned into that player who can play all different types of roles and the ravens value that immensely and they, as they should, I think we've we've hit on enough on the safety rooms and going with other uh, things. But it is interesting that Pepe Williams had to be brought in to play the entire second half of safety because the Ravens, while very deep at safety, don't have a lot of players in camp at safety. They only really have the big five. All five, in my mind, are expected to make the team. Or at least I think they'll be on the team active week one, and uh, we'll see. Uh, what that means for for the second game because I think Clark and Williams will both see some time in this game, but I expect it to be short. I expect Hamilton to play maybe a half, and that leaves you then with uh, Stone and somebody to play that second half. And it could be if you if you delay Jefferson's entry enough, maybe he plays the second half with Stone in this one. But uh, it could be that they 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 need to turn to Pepe. In my opinion, the safer move is to go with Jefferson in the second half and not. Uh, not take a risk with Pepe the way they did in game one. You could even see Ardarius Washington there potentially. You could play him at a cut. I know that maybe they view him more. I know. Yeah, that's the key point. It's almost like, do you want to throw him into action right away? It's it's a difficult thing. Apparently, he's been getting some teamwork, so maybe he could play maybe a quarter. But that might be more for the third game after he's kind of gotten a little bit more under his belt. So we'll see. And then Brandon Stevens, someone else who, you know, a corner at this point, I think. But maybe if they want to throw him out for some safety snaps just in case they could. But who knows? Well, they need outside corner snaps, too. So so getting Brandon Williams uh, is getting uh, Brandon Stevens, I should say, in there for an extended trial on the outside would be something I really want to see. He hasn't played a lot there for the Ravens under live file circumstances. A little bit last year, but not a lot. And, uh, and that would be really nice to see. Yeah, I'm excited for it. All right, Kevin, outstanding to get to talk football with you. And, and, you know, we were talking 30 to 45 minutes. Of course, we're at an hour and 15 now, so that's the way life works sometimes. And uh, uh, really appreciate you taking extra time out of your day to do this. Tell folks where they can find your work. Yeah, it's, it's always a blast talking with you, Ken. I, I have a lot of fun. You can find my work over at Locked on Ravens. We're Day of the Ravens podcast five days per week doing Ravens news analysis updates. We are anywhere you get your podcasts, so Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. I also want YouTube and video form, so if you want to go over there, it's 
and hit that subscribe button. You can do that as well. Also, I'm the managing editor for Ravens Wire. So Ravens content seven days a week over there, right? And Ravens, again, news analysis, updates, everything you need in terms of Ravens coverage. We got it over there for you. All right, fantastic. If you're out there, you'd like to be on a film study short, still got some time for you before the season starts. You know, a little bit of dead time before this game, but then after this game, uh, after the third game, I should say, there's, there's more opportunity as well. Uh, DM me on Twitter. They're always open. I'll get back to you very quickly uh, on your topic. Anything you're passionate about is fine. Ideally, we can talk about it in about 25 to 30 minutes. Kevin, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate you as always, Ken. We'll take it easy, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.